earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me today, whether you're in your car, listening at home on your radio or mobile device, or catching the podcast. Friends, I grew up in a mainline Christian denomination and gained an appreciation for the calendar of the Christian year. I found it a potent tool to help me remember the salvation history brought about by God to humankind through the earthly birth and ministry of Jesus Christ. The Christian year actually begins in the pre-Christmas season of Advent, the four weeks before December 24th. Similarly, there's a preparation time of seven weeks before Easter, or as I prefer, Resurrection Day. These seven weeks are called Lent. Perhaps you've heard of it, even celebrated it. Then comes Resurrection Sunday, after which follows seven weeks of the Easter season, leading to the day of Pentecost. I mention this, friends, because the seasons of the Christian year have colors associated with them. The colors for resurrection season are white and gold for joy and purity. After that is the ordinary season for about six or seven months. The color for this season is green, symbolizing life, growth, and hope. Certainly no ordinary stage in the Christian life. I believe the early church utilized this season for further discipleship and the spiritual maturing of new converts. You see, friends, the resurrection event, Jesus rising from the dead, meaning victory over sin and death, holds great meaning for us as Christ followers. Romans 6.4 is our guide. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Sadly, friends, too often preachers, teachers, and even we ourselves point to Romans 7, thinking this is the picture of the present and normal Christian life. But the Apostle Paul shakes us to the core because he strategically sandwiches his feelings in chapter 7 between 6 and 8. The image that helps me is a peanut butter sandwich. You see, peanuts aren't actually nuts. They're legumes, like beans. So they're not a complete protein. Only when combined with a grain, like bread, is the protein complete. So a peanut butter sandwich provides complete protein. The peanut butter depends on the bread to make it complete. 
In the same way, friends, Romans 7 is not complete unless combined with Romans 6 and 8. We actually deprive ourselves of complete spiritual nourishment if we read only Romans 7 and conclude that it's okay to live this way, and worse, that it's okay with God. Friends, be Bereans and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. I encourage you to first read Romans 6 through 8 in one sitting and see that in that section, Romans 6 and 8 actually represent Paul's present life. There is ample evidence that Romans 7 is a historical departure by Paul to recount his pre-conversion life and the ping-pong effect an unsaved Jewish religious man experiences, trying to live by the requirements of the Jewish law without the Spirit of God. In Romans 6 and 8, Paul predominantly uses we, us, and those. But in Romans seven fourteen through 25, we find I some 25 times with a sprinkling of myself, my, and me. Just listen to some ways Paul describes himself in Romans 7. I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. I'm a slave to the law of sin. I'm curious, friends. Would you introduce yourself to someone this way? Hi, my name is, and put your name there, and I'm a Christian. But I want you to know that I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Additionally, what I want to do, I do not do. But I end up hating what I do. This is sin living in me. I desire to do what is good, but unfortunately I cannot carry it out. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my deepest self I really do delight in God's law, yet there's another law working inside of me, and as a result a raging war exists. My mind is bombarded all the time. In fact, it makes me a prisoner. I am totally wretched. I have no idea who will rescue me from this condition. Hey, would you like to become a Christian like me? This would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? The fact is, there aren't any other confirming scriptures that support a Roman 7 life anywhere else in Paul's or any other writer's letters in the New Testament. But there are countless scriptures that can be paired with statements in Romans 6 and 8. Friends, listen to how Paul recounts his past and present life in Philippians 3, 7-11. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
Friends, only with the aid of spiritual hindsight after his conversion does Paul admit he had a failed record. He originally believed his past record was spotless. Formerly a proud, religious, yet unsaved Jew, listen to how he thought of himself in Philippians 3, 3-6. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law faultless whoa what a change paul went from believing his record was perfect to recognizing that all that was a loss garbage he says because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus his lord Paul's former permanent record was expunged by the blood of his crucified and risen Messiah. Friends, Bob Green, Chicago Tribune columnist, had a theory about what's wrong with the world. He blames it on what he calls the death of the permanent record. He recalls that grade school children once lived in fear of having their bad behavior noted on this permanent record. Because of this, young people thought twice before they did something wrong. It wasn't because they were so good. They feared having their actions written down. But these days, Green says, people believe that there is no such thing as a permanent record. In fact, they believe no one has a right to keep track at all. How present obsession with privacy rights, Green says, could lead a school child, if he or she were even threatened with something going on their permanent record, to file suit under the Freedom of Information Act and gain possession of their files before recess. Friends, that may seem preposterous, but behind this notion is a very real truth. Where there's no fear of a lasting record, people tend to do what they think they can get away with. You see, friends, Paul knew full well that a permanent record does exist, and the books can be opened and used to judge him. And this is where our first question comes in. What's the problem? The problem for the human race is that a permanent record does exist. It's kept by God. One day their record books will be opened. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There it is, friends, the permanent record. We may not like it. We may not believe it exists, but there it is. 
In Bible times, God's people seem to be aware of their actions being written down by God. Exodus 32:31 says, Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Daniel 12, 1 and 2 say, At the end of time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not has happened from the beginning of nations till then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. So friends, what's the problem? Well, I'm going to talk about a word and a concept that is not PC, not politically correct. Today is the first in a three-part series called Resurrection Remix, Revisiting the Reason for the Season. Our subtitle is It Was for Us, and it primarily refers to the crucifixion, but logically points ahead to the resurrection. Friends, there's a phrase in theology called the Christ Event. It stands for a mouthful of information. The event is the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. I don't want us to let go of the resurrection season just yet, because resurrection season signifies the culmination of Jesus' life and work on earth, and at the same time anticipates the coming of the Holy Spirit and the inauguration of the church era. You see, friends, the Christ event was necessary because of a problem. So what's the problem? Well, here's my politically incorrect word for today. Sin. We humans had a falling out with God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fall short means come up short, even destitute. In other words, we're now worse off. The origin of the fall of humanity occurs in Genesis, a book that is continually under attack from both the secular arena and liberal critical theologians. Why? Because the first 11 chapters of Genesis lay the foundation for every cardinal doctrine Christians hold dear, particularly the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of salvation or redemption. Friends, just read Genesis 3, 1 through 13. The first thing you'll see there is that sin is fascinating. In other words, charming, bewitching, alluring, attractive. Do you remember what God said to Cain before Cain killed Abel in 4, 7? Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Remember what Hebrews 11 says about Moses? Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. 
In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13, Paul says, If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. When you are tempted, God will also provide you a way out so that you can endure it. You see, friends, the world refuses to believe that we are a sinful fallen race. The world refuses to accept that within every human born since Adam, there's a deeply rooted dispositional hostility or resistance to God's authority. Some scholars add self-sovereignty to that, and I agree. When we humans rebel against God's authority and sovereignty, we proudly set ourselves up as our own authority. You see, the good news presupposes that first there's bad news. We're not basically good. We have inherited a morally twisted nature, an inclination or propensity to evil. A few other verses in Genesis help expand this picture. In 6.5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. In 6.11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. In 8.21, the Lord said, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. You see, friends, the world can't handle this truth. And why the Bible and Christianity are attacked so vehemently, and Christians are portrayed as intolerant bigots. To the world, the idea of sin is sheer folly. Just ask any mainstream psychologist or psychiatrist. They'll most likely say that religion is the root cause of human guilt and most of our problems. The world has taken great pains to rationalize away and redefine sin. This is the success of the politically correct movement. If you haven't realized it, PC is just an exercise in euphemisms or substitutions like... A baby is now a fetus to dull the senses to a life. Interestingly, the Latin word fetus means pregnancy, childbirth, offspring. Ignorance of word meanings can hurt us. Abortion isn't murder anymore. It's exercising choice for women's reproductive health. An illegitimate child is now a love child. Adultery is now living together. Homosexuality has been given an alternate designation, an alternate lifestyle. This is not hate speech, for I love all people unconditionally. Pornography is now exercising free speech. Friends, the world works overtime to create an amoral society, blurring or erasing the distinctions of moral right and wrong. Long before the PC movement, there was the psychobabble of situation ethics, later utilizing the euphemism moral relativism. You may remember this spawned slogans like, if it's right for you, then it's right. Or, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Even I'm okay, you're okay. Notice this subtle ploy to desensitize us all to evil behavior so that anything we do can be rationalized as normal. 
These thinking patterns result when we humans set ourselves up as the authority and reject the absolute authority of God in his written word. This has paved the way for the next step, establishing our own righteousness and our own standards of righteousness. Let's review Paul's words in Philippians 3, 8, and 9. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung, the word says, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Friends, it's interesting to learn what God thinks of our own self-perceived righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness is like filthy rags. This is a very kind translation of a very vivid phrase in Hebrew. I'll be careful to respect the listening audience today and just say that this means soiled menstrual garments. But the world doesn't want to hear this, right? The world is in rebellion against a holy God and flaunts sin. Psalm 12, 8 says, The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is defiantly exalted. So first, sin is fascinating. And now second, sin is fatal. The first pronouncement that sin is fatal is in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In 2, 16 and 17, God gave Adam these instructions. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. The Hebrew here actually says, in dying you will die. In other words, disobedience brought consequences and the onset of physical death. Adam and Eve will now age and die at some future point. Paul reinforces this in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So first, sin is fascinating. Second, sin is fatal. And now third, sin is final. Jesus said in Luke 13.3, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And in John 8.24, he adds, Unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for us to die once, and after that, the judgment. Friends, the permanent record, if not expunged by Jesus' blood, stands when we stand before the judgment seat. But the fourth and final truth is, sin is forgivable. On the cross, the first of seven utterances of Jesus was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Thankfully, repeated in both Testaments, is that with God there is forgiveness. Psalm 133 and 4 say, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us, In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace or mercy. You see, friends, it was for us. Romans 5 is a great chapter, but I'll just read verse 8. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was for us. Each of you listening today can make this personal. Say, it was for me. Say it now, out loud. In Isaiah 118, God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And in Romans 5.1, Paul reminds the church, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and that just simply means we have been placed in right standing with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand. Sin is fascinating. Sin is fatal. Sin is final. But sin is forgivable. Amen? Amen. Well, we're at the end of today's program, friends. I hope it's been informative and challenging. I invite you to have your sins changed from scarlet to white, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. The first thing is to acknowledge you are a sinner. Ask God for forgiveness and ask Jesus to be your Savior. And it would be my honor to pray for you as we all seek to live out the forgiven and set free life Christ offers us. Jesus' blood forgives us of our sins, and Jesus' resurrection enables us to walk in newness of life. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me, so please share your decision with me. Additionally, thanks to you who have helped keep this program on the air. Thanks for listening today, friends, and remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.